Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I am your host, Stephen Pinecker, and I'm so excited to have a team here, a husband and wife team, that have a podcast. And it's a really cool podcast because it's, it's um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of folk, you know, off the record, and there's a lot of issues going on with the church, and people are having, like, faith crises, and they're, maybe they're going from you know, maybe being a TBM to more nuanced Mormon, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so these are, this, this is a podcast um, that, that deals in that world. And I think that's a good, this is a good place for you guys to come on because I, I deal with the whole restoration, uh, whether it's post-Mormon or true blue Mormons, um, it's a safe space. And you guys, are, that's what you guys are doing. You're providing a safe space. So I am so excited to have on my program, Valerie and Nathan, Latter-day Struggles. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, you know what? I meant to ask you this off camera. How do you pronounce your last name? Hammaker. Hammaker. Now, Pineacker. Hammaker. Okay, so we all kind of rhyme a little bit. That's great. So um, welcome to the program, guys. I'm really grateful you took the time to come on today. And I'm really excited about the, the project you guys are doing. And before we get started on that, Valerie and Nathan, and either one of you, whoever wants to go first, I'd like for you just to give a little background. Uh, about your faith journey, uh, were you born in the covenant, what kind of Mormon are you, um, and just just give us a little background. So whoever wants to go first, let's go with Valerie. Okay, yeah, it's good to be here. So grateful for your willingness to have us on your show, Steve. It's a wonderful show. I've been I've been watching it lately and very impressed with with the breadth and depth of your work. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I I'm a multi generation member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Um, pioneers on both sides of the family. There was um, someone who many, many generations ago left their, their work in the Lutheran church and kind of left it all and came. And so there's a lot of like real devout faith on my side of the family from both perspective, from both my father's and my mother's sides. Um, uh, we've been active my whole life. Um, all the way through childhood, I served a mission for the church. This is actually where Nathan and I met. We served in the San Francisco, California, Spanish speaking mission in the mid 90s and got married um, late 90s and we've had four children together two of whom are adult daughters young adult daughters and then we have two teenage sons here at home and have never not been active members of the church um, i would say gosh nathan what would you say kind of how our transition into a more nuanced place that began what would you how would you answer that nathan i'm not even really sure how to maybe <laughs> within the last five years would that be fair uh, yeah i would say the last maybe 2016 to 2017 yeah. range, I agree. So a lot of that for me had to do with going through getting a master's degree in counseling. And I live in Jackson County, Missouri, which is always a novelty to members of the LDS faith tradition or any of the large umbrella of the, of the Mormon, Mormon umbrella. And so we've lived here for about 20 years now. And I was one of the only, if not maybe the only, or there are very few therapists that are Latter-day Saints and that are also women. And so I sort of inadvertently stumbled into a, a lot of, my practice uh, grew very, very, very quickly because bishops and state presidents didn't necessarily have anywhere to send their, their folks through um, family services from very early on. And so even though I'm kind of out in the middle of the mission field, as they say, I have from the very beginning had a fairly large caseload of people um, of the Latter-day Saint faith tradition. And I just started noticing and feeling that much of what they were bringing in had a lot to do with the suffering and the pain that they felt that was at least loosely, if not um, 
more directly tied to some of their sufferings that come from, um, it's like the blessings of, the, of their faith, but also there's a lot of complexity that comes along with that. And so as sort of a true TBM member, um, I already was working on better understanding things all the way through graduate school. And then after hours of listening to people, um, I started actually like really listening, like really listening and trying to learn more about what they were suffering through and wanting to understand it better. And it led me into um, lots of scholarship and just basically trying to better understand the full experience of someone who has been in or is struggling in something that is around spiritual um, suffering. And then I have been talking to Nathan all the way through this and he has his own story, but he has kind of come alongside me and we've talked with each other for many, many years about some of these things. And that kind of led to the podcast, but maybe we can, I'll, I'll turn that over to Nathan to kind of talk about his history and then we can talk about the podcast maybe in a minute. So how's that sound, Steve? Yeah, that sounds great, Nathan. So what, give us your background, your backstory. Um, you know, in, in theory, not that different. I was also born and raised in the church. I have pioneer ancestors on both sides, multi, multi, multi-generational. Uh, my mother's side was, uh, came from a line of polygamists, uh, raised in Houston. So I was a little bit outside of uh, the LDS Utah culture, uh, but I was fairly uh, Orthodox. I uh, served a mission uh, in California, as Valerie said, graduated from BYU. Uh, loved, 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 loved my time at, at BYU and loved my mission, absolutely 100%. Uh, we got married. Uh, we went back to Houston for medical school for four years. Um, our intention was to move back to Utah. Uh, ultimately, that didn't work out uh, for various reasons, but Really, by chance, we ended up out here in Kansas City. That it, that was not a conscious choice to uh, you know to come to Zion or anything like you know like that. We uh, ended up out here for residency. Have really loved the Kansas City area. The, the schools are good. The environment's good. The weather's nice. Uh, we've been very happy out here. Um, Valerie going to counseling school uh, was a big part of our transition. Uh, learning. Uh, a lot about what people were suffering. I'd say in addition to that, for me, there were a couple of other things. One was uh, my oldest daughter uh, began asking a lot of really hard questions about the church uh, as she got to her juniors and senior year in high school. Um, many of the things I kind of blew off, uh, kind of gave her really short, simple answers. But uh, she was undeterred. She, she did a lot of research on the history of the church and some of the uh, problems that we're facing, and it forced me, and, and I think Valerie would agree, forced us to uh, look a little deeper to be able to answer her questions. And then I, I'd say the third thing for me that happened in that time period is that I went through a major lawsuit in my medical practice that completely altered how I saw a lot of things, uh, not just about the church, but about myself. Uh, and with that kind of gave myself permission to, to see things differently, uh, to, to take a different level of personal authority that I had never given myself permission to, to take. And so I, I think the combination of, of those factors all in the relatively short time period, that, that 2016 to 2018 window, all of these things kind of came together. I think, I think Valerie and I did go through a, a transition where we saw our faith uh, differently. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, I, it's, 
a lot of is and I've heard this story many times about the kids, you know, doing research on the internet, coming across things, taking this information to their parents. And that that's a that's a very common story, you know, because this is a thing, like the kids, they know everything. You know, I mean, they're just online and they're finding things out. There's no correlation anymore, you know. I mean, there is, but there isn't, uh, because yeah. the kids are just, you know. And they just don't, they don't go to, they don't want to go to the authorities and get the official, they want to find out the full story, the unofficial story, if you will. <laughs> and uh, so what was it just like, okay, so here you are parents and you got these children you're raising in this church and, and they they come to you with questions. What, what was that, what was that like, that internal struggle that you had to go through when you were engaging these, um, engaging, engaging this information for the first time? You want to take that, Nathan? Um, well, I, I can say for me, it was probably a little bit of a different experience than it was for Valerie, because I think Valerie was already fielding these questions through her counseling practice, as well as through our kids. Right. So so for me, it was uh, more of a matter of, uh, you know, these were these were kind of shocking questions. These were, these were things that I, you know, had kind of heard about, but we had always been taught, uh, you know, were, were, were false or taken out of context. I mean, I, I gave her all of the the, the, the kind of rehearsed answers that we had been given in Sunday school. Um, for me, the thing that really got to me, like the thing that just really got under my skin that I, I delved into and is probably still my pet project is race in the church. Um, I did, you know, the reading, I, I, I found original documents, I listened to the apologists, I listened to the non-apologists. Um, read the, you know, the, the church essays on the, on the issue. And just in my own conclusion, uh, it was really the first time I faced something that I said, this is a bunch of crap. Uh, we have been deceived. We have been lied to. Um, we have been given this as if it was doctrine and it's not a doctrine, it's a policy. And it was a policy of man and it was not well uh, handled for 126 years. And as soon as I came to that realization it's like the house of cards begins to fall down it's like okay well, what else have we been told <laughs> what else have we been fed what other what other junk is out there that i've got to now go through so uh, for me that's kind of how it started um what do you think val what, what would you yeah. say your story was so thank you for that nathan i think for me it was actually this is a good question because it's it's requiring me to really look at the origins of it it was actually so you've got on the one hand, teenage daughters asking hard questions and we like any TBM or like encouraging the shelf strategy, right? <laughs> like just, just put it over there and keep your head, you know, in the sand. We didn't say those words, but in retrospect, that's really what we were actually inviting our children to do. And it was clearly not working. Okay. So as an aside, what I'm also noticing for myself as a therapist is I became far less interested in people being tribal in nature and being committed to and loyal to any kind of a tradition. And I started just noticing that like, what are the, what are the things that are actually helping people become healthy? I don't really care where I find them. I want to seek truth at all costs. And I started actually noticing in my own study and reading that I was finding prophets everywhere. I was finding a prophet among, you know, amongst the union analysts that I was reading. I was finding prophets amongst um, Catholic monks and um, Jesuit priests. And I was actually starting to really notice that like God is just everywhere. 
And so my ability to take a step back later on and start really looking at the problems of the institution of the Church of Jesus Christ was actually sort of the, the natural next step for me, which is like, are there prophets and can prophetic things be taking place also in this little corner of the garden? Yes, absolutely. But do we own most of the truth, all of the truth, some of the truth, a little bit of the truth? I mean, in my mind, it was like, gosh, God is an equal opportunity truth teller. And so I was able to then, because this was such a slow progression for me, I was actually able to really start looking at um, not only is God so much more generous than we've given um, them credit for, our heavenly parents, Jesus Christ, they're so generous and willing to give truth wherever we can find it. It's just we that are blinded by it. And so the next step for me was, okay, well, let's find truth where we, where I, you know, where my own tradition is, because I want to believe that it's there, there's some of it, but before we do that, we have to start like really, really like digging through the weeds and we have to have, like, it was this, this passion I had to actually find truth. And in order to do that, at least in our church, you have to dig through a lot of weeds and you have to really start being true, being honest and acknowledging, okay, let's look at polygamy. Okay, let's look at patriarchy. Okay, let's look at race. I mean, and it's just, there's layers and layers and layers of institutional um, deception or evasion. And it became clear to me that to be a good mother, wife, woman, therapist, the best way I could honor God was to honor actual truth, not institutional, uh, you know, loyalty, um, and, and actually not follow any sort of a party line. If I could find it there, great. But if I can't find it there, I will go where I can find it and I will be a truth teller. And all of a sudden, as I've had these multiple experiences, it was just more about, I owe my allegiance to one entity and that is to God, to nobody else. And then from there on, it's actually been, I mean, I have my like nervous moments, but really more so than anything, it's like, I've never felt more committed to and called to just working, you know, being um, instrumental in helping people find truth and come into true relationship with God, which then brings about spiritual and psychological help, which is all I really am interested in as a mother and a wife and a therapist and a friend. Well, very interesting. You know, one of the things, you know, I interviewed Don Bradley at his home in Utah last fall, and he wanted to come on to talk about his faith journey. And he actually was an atheist, just like I was for a while. Now, part of being an atheist, what people don't realize, now, again, this is different, slightly different stories. I tell people, said, you know, it's, it's, you go through a mourning process because you lost your best friend. Uh, you know, I had like a dark decade of the soul. Did you guys have a dark day, dark night of the soul in this whole process? And maybe talk a little bit about that. Do you want to go first, Nate? Or I will. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly did. Um, and again, it, it might be a little bit different than some of the other people's experiences because mine, mine was coupled with a, a really difficult uh, time at work uh, associated with a lawsuit. Um, but I began asking myself really deep questions about myself. Who, who am I really? And, and what do I really believe? Um, and do I really believe there's a God? And if there is a God, why so much suffering? Um, and, and so a lot like what Valerie said, uh, what ended up happening for me is decoupling my faith in God from my faith in an institution. Um, I did believe and I have always believed and I still believe um, that, that there is a God, that there is uh, the, the, the doctrine of heavenly parents, the doctrine of a savior. 
Um, but what I realized was is that the, the institution had changed it so much uh, and it changed the way that, that I should be practicing my, my real faith. Um, so my dark night of the soul was a journey of who am I? What, what do I believe? Uh, and as Valerie said, um, there are some there are some resources that in, in the church that help me, no question about it. I, I give lots and lots of credit to the Book of Mormon for answering many of my questions. Um, but I also give lots of credit to other scholars like Richard Rohr and Anthony DeMello, who are Catholic scholars, uh, and they, they answered those questions really well for me um, about who I am and why I'm here and where we're going and why so much suffering and why this journey. Um, and so as I, as I went through this, uh, I have not rejected the church, but what it, you know, like Valerie said, it's just changed my relationship. My loyalty is first and foremost to the gods of heaven uh, and to loving people and much, much lower down the rung, uh, if at all, is, is loyalty to any particular person or institution. Valerie? So I, I, I'm thinking about my dark nights of the soul. And I've had, I've had many dark days of the soul for myself. And I would say days mostly because it's not, it's only, it's not because it's been less than one week. It's been many, many days sprinkled in with other days where I do better. Right. But to me, I'm thinking about, I find so much of my own internal connection to God through books and in my own journey and in my own evolution comes from some of the most significant books that I've read that have brought up the most amount of pain for me. And for me, I would have to say it's two different books or authors rather, Carolyn Pearson's books, The Ghosts, The Eternal Ghosts of Polygamy. I'm gonna cry. Um, her polygamy book. And then the books that she wrote, The Goodbye, I Love You and the No More Goodbyes book. They are the clearest testimony of what a prophet does. They speak truth in love and the foundation of their true teaching is in love one another. And when I saw that and I read that and I saw her speaking to the pain of marginalized people, it was a strong testimony to me that we have gone off track as an institution and we needed more and more people to step up and be brave and speak truth to power. And then I would say the second experience that was the most impactful to me was um, ironically reading Eugene England's biography by Terrell Givens. And as a therapist, I, I love the intersection of psychology and, and, and spirituality because it's a messy place to be. And so I read that book, or I, rather I listened to that book, but I'm, I'm watching the life of a man who is desperately trying to negotiate true believing Mormon with nuance and it pretty much cost him his spiritual and mental health. He couldn't do it. And the way he tried to stay so honorable and loyal, but there was something deep within him that, was, that, that knew better um, and I just really got deeply involved in his, his struggle, so much so that I actually knocked on his wife's door as I was reading the book. I was, it happened to be in Utah. She answered the door and we spent two hours together 
talking about him and his life. And I left the house with a big tall stack about this tall of some of the books and articles and things that she, I think, just wanted to go into the hands wow. of somebody who cared. That was just a few months ago. And that deeply impacted me as well, where I saw the struggle of, of really earnest people trying to negotiate certain elements of our faith that are not negotiable. <laughs> they don't, you can't add them up in a way that makes sense until you have to take a step back and say, I may love and I may have a lot of sweet and tender feelings for this um, institution because it's where my faith was grown. It's my people, it's my family. And yet I also have to just see truth for what it is and acknowledge the, the profound nature of its imperfections and the struggles that they still have and taking ownership of the struggles. And I'm also extraordinarily loyal to others of my faith that are in pain. We do collect really good people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are just, they're the best of the best. And I, I, I want to help them feel like there's a path to peace and to a better understanding the agony that they go through when they have been um, raised in a culture that they're very loyal to, to wake up to the fact that it's not as, it's not, it's not as it seemed. And oftentimes they don't have a way to um, articulate their suffering and they have nowhere to go and they have no one to talk to and they don't know, they don't understand. And so that's kind of what has led me to um, not only these, this, my own experience brings me to wanting to help from the psychology side. Sorry, uh, you know, uh, it's really, thank you for sharing that. That's very powerful. Um, I have real kinship with Eugene uh, myself. I was having lunch with John DeLynn and a friend, and I gave a statement about my beliefs. He said, that's Eugene. <laughs> um, so I think I have a lot in common with the man. But, um, you know, I, I, before we start talking about your podcast, um, maybe just talk a little bit about your doing the therapy. Because um, I think that informs a lot of what you're doing anyhow with the podcast. Tell me just your experiences engaging people and their faith journeys and maybe their shelves breaking, uh, maybe they have to try to pick up the pieces, you know, um, and I know that a lot of my viewers, you reach out to me and, and you tell me similar stories and that this channel has been kind of helpful in like a therapeutic healing process for them. And so I'm not a therapist, but I'm like, okay, well, if the Lord's going to use me, he's going to use me however he wants. And, um, but I just want to say, how is the Lord using you? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, Steve. To me, well, what I started noticing from very early on is that what we are patterned to believe in the church through our faith tradition is that we don't have a lot of agency. We're, we use the words that we have agency, but then we don't actually encourage people to practice agency, to practice psychological agency, to choose for themselves what feels right. And so it feels in some ways like people come to faith crisis or they come to these struggles with their faith with a very, very low skill set in knowing what to do with complexity. We're not, we do not teach people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to have a complex way of thinking. We're not critical thinkers. We don't know how to look at nuance. We don't know how to look at something that is actually, interestingly, the most true things always embody paradox. Most of the time, the truest of true things, um, the opposite is true as well. And yet that's a real skill set that kind of blows the mind of your run-of-the-mill true-believing Mormon. They don't get that because they've always sort of just been, and maybe this is just me um, 
this is my experience. I should just maybe preface it with that. I, I feel that sometimes people bump into incongruencies in their lived experience that doesn't make sense based on what they have been told how it should be, you know, the transactional nature of if you do this, then you do this. If you believe this, then this is what, how God will provide. Well, inevitably in life, it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> and all you have to do is live long enough to run into something that doesn't line up. And then they don't have the psychological maturity to be able to know how to deal with something like that. And so, and so what ends up happening is even before they enter into like the, the, the faith with the historical struggles and things like that, they really don't even actually have a skill set to manage something like my child is suffering through cancer. And yet I've been a temple attending member for my whole life. Like these two don't add up. I'm not supposed to. And it's like, well, we have to then start at the very beginning and recognize that what you have been, um, the way you have been um, trained isn't giving you the skill set to acknowledge a loving and kind God who also um, doesn't just, you know, reward the righteous with healthy children. It doesn't work that way. And so that would be one thing that I've had to really, really work with people on. And then the other side of it too, I think, is that this idea about handing over our agency to, um, to the well-meaning but misguided leaders who basically just tell us that we're not supposed to actually worry about, you know, 98% of, you know, our own development. We're supposed to allow the church to do that for us. And then once again, people come in and they feel almost this like deep shame that like, but I don't agree with that. That doesn't feel right, you know? And it's like, yeah, it doesn't feel right because maybe it isn't right, you know? And it's like, there's a lot of shock and dismay at the possibility that they can actually have their own personal authority to determine for themselves what is right because a good, true, believing Mormon doesn't do that. And so I have to go really slowly in my therapeutic work because if I come on too strong, it looks like I'm trying to, people that are, if they're very, very orthodox, I have to be, it's, I mean, and this is really ethical anyways, but we have to sort of take it slowly so that they for themselves can start recognizing that it is, it is the wisdom of God and it's best for us to cultivate that for ourselves that there's it doesn't mean that we're sort of um, dishonoring God because oftentimes too another problem that I run into a lot is people have fused relationship with God with relationship with the church which is oftentimes when they go into full-blown crisis without a lot of a skill set to know how to manage it psychologically you know well even though it's painful they don't have the skill set and then they kind of throw the whole entire baby out with the bathwater. God goes too because they don't know a God outside of what they have been told is their God through the vehicle of the church. And so it's, it becomes a very, very complicated and messy sort of process to sort of help them grow their own spiritual agency, their own psychological agency, give them permission. I've heard that word a thousand times. You've given me permission to feel the way I feel. And I find that fascinating. It's like, well, I'm, I haven't given you permission. You're just actually growing up. You're psychologically developing enough that you're recognizing you had permission all along. Maybe you've been told that you don't, but you've always had it. And, um, and so that to me has been um, one of the most striking things where I can tell people are truly growing into themselves is that they recognize it's like, oh, I'm wise. I can heal. And the other thing that I'll say, last thing I'll say on this, in this little tidbit um, is that people have always felt like they're, they're crazy or there's something wrong with them. Like they're hiding a big secret or they're the only ones. And so 
my podcast and even my individual therapy work is like, oh, you mean other people feel this way because it's like the big open secret. It's not as open. I mean, it's more open than it ever used to be, right? Because we've got Facebook groups and things like that. But a lot of true believing Mormons who don't actually participate in those kinds of things, uh, they feel intense um, as they are growing, they feel a lot of stress that they will be in fact, or they are alone and there's something that's not wrong with them or unfaithful about them. And the church also has a narrative that drives that um, rhetoric too, that there's something wrong with you if you actually start questioning these things, which I, I actually say, no, that's called psychological growth. You're not going backwards, you're going forward. You know, one of the things I talk about too is my channel is not an anti-Mormon channel. Yeah. And my channel, actually, I've had people reach out to me and say, you're, you're, you're the reason I stayed. Yeah. And uh, but based on the stuff I'm doing, which I find fascinating. And it sounds to me like you're, you kind of have the same idea is that, you know, you, and what I find so fascinating about what you two are talking about is how Mormon you are. And, and your, your theology, your, your, your idea of the God, the Godhead and the heavenly parents, I mean, this is very Mormon. And I think our guests will probably pick that up. And if you're hearing th thunder, folks, it's the Florida the thunderstorm season. So excuse it, excuse that it's interfering. But um, it's very Mormon, and I'm very fascinated by that. It sounds to me like you really, truly are taking principles from the Book of Mormon, uh, some of the, the deep theology that's involved. You're in integrating that into your uh, into your lives, but also uh, it sounds to me like in within your therapy sessions, but also with your podcast. And that's that's what leads me to the next question: Where did this idea come? to do this podcast. Whose idea was it? Did it? Did somebody suggest it to you? Um, just just t tell us a little bit about that. Okay, I'll take that one since I started the podcast. Is that good, Nate? Okay, so we, um, so I collaborated a little bit with another uh, therapist, uh, a gentleman in Utah, and we had done a few shows together. I had another podcast that was going on. I still do. It's a, it's a therapy-oriented podcast about psychological and sort of uh, spiritual wellness, but not any kind of a tribal spiritual wellness. I, I look into you know, Indian and Buddhism and Christianity. And so it's like a whole bigger umbrella. And I had had this gentleman on and I'd been on his show. Um, great guy. Uh, his name is Brandon Patrick. And we did a handful of shows together. Well, let me just say this. We started doing other things and talking and he was kind of a mentor to me on sort of some business related things. And we started actually talking about our mutual experiences that we were having as therapists, he's right there in Utah Valley and he works around sexual health issues. And so he was seeing a lot of the big problems that emerge in the therapy world around um, sexual addiction issues and sort of uh, just our, you know, our, our fraught relationship that we have with sex, um, you know, as Christians in general, and maybe a little bit as Latter-day Saints in particular. And so and then I was talking to him about my issues with, uh, with, you know, just client issues and things like that. And it started to occur to us that we had a lot of those same ways of thinking about things and that the, the, the podcasting world might benefit from two active members of the church who are also therapists, who are also really, really courageous. And basically we both had to surrender all of our fears about a worst case scenario of what might happen if we actually, um, step up to the plate and start speaking truth to power. And so we went forward after a lot, we actually recorded, I don't know, eight or 10 shows before we even dropped any because we were both so like kind of nervous about like, what is the uh, possible meaning? Of course, I've worked my way through that. And, um, and he had to also, well, we got about 12 shows in and he kind of decided to go a different direction with his professional interests and things like that. But the good news was that by this point in time, it had occurred to me that I was already processing with and spending a lot of time and had for years talking to this guy here, Nathan. 
And while he doesn't have any sort of a therapy background, um, we've spent years reading books together, reading the same things, talking about the same things, sharing articles that we've listened to. And he's also been very supportive of my, my journey. He's walked by my side through this entire evolution. And so when I said, hey, why don't you come on periodically? He doesn't, he's not on every show. I do some by myself. And then I also have other guests on and Brandon comes back periodically, but he's on a lot of them. And he's actually proven to be a fantastic um, second voice. I think a lot of people are intrigued with a married couple. You know, we met on our mission and the whole thing um, who are able to sort of navigate from a, from a stance of um, active in the church, but not afraid. Meaning that we are going to, as we find truth, we will speak truth. And as we, um, and we are, we're addressing things on the podcast, like the power and importance of dissent. We're talking about what a spiritually abusive system is and how many components of a spiritually abusive system we actually fall into. We're talking about lots of issues around the struggles of patriarchy. I mean, we're not shying away from, I don't think really anything that a lot of active members desperately want and need. And um, we're getting frequent feedback and it's been, it's, it's a very young podcast, but it's growing rapid. It's doubling in numbers every couple of weeks at this point. Well, that is fantastic. That's, you know, and, and I like this because you guys are a safe space. You're husband and wife. You're married to each other. You love each other. You're a team. You have a family. You believe in a lot of the Mormon concepts. I think this is great because if you are a progressive Mormon or you're a conservative, um, I think you, you, what you're doing is, is a great space for people to have these difficult conversations, but done in such a way, because this is the thing, you know, we don't need another anti-Mormon podcast out there. There's plenty of those. We need a, a dime place. dozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I really like where you're at because you're kind of in the middle there. Now, Nathan, what's it like for you to have now your wife, she's already doing this podcast. And next thing you know, she's, hey, why don't you come on the program? Uh, what's it been like for you and, and how are you enjoying it? Well, I enjoy it a lot. I think, um, you know, not, I don't have all the same experiences that she does with her therapy, but the, the actual experiences that, that people are having, I can relate to. I've, I've been through them, so I, I know what they look like. And so uh, it's, it's been great. And I think a couple of things that you, you said there are, are really important to, to point out. Number one is, is that we, we do try to make it a safe space because the idea here is that if, if we need a safe space, then there must be some unsafe spaces. Right, and that's what we're trying to pull people out of is those unsafe spaces like our daughters went through uh, where they felt very unsafe. Uh, and you know, lots, lots of people in the church now that our eyes are more open uh, really need that. But, but it is really important, I think, to point out that we are not anti. Um, I, I'm not, I mean, I guess I won't speak for Valerie, but uh, we're not coming at this from a perspective of we want to tear the church apart or we want to see it go away or we want to drive people away from, from their faith. In fact, you know, uh, other than getting annoyed once in a while at Sunday school with the Orthodox people, I, I really don't have a problem with Orthodox people. I was Orthodox at one time. I know why people live in that space. I understand the natural progression of spiritual development and that it requires an Orthodox stage. Uh, and, and so people that are happy in Orthodoxy, uh, we're not trying to pull them out. We're not trying to open their eyes and say, hey, you're, you're, you're living an ignorant life. We're, we're basically saying, if you are Orthodox and you want to be Orthodox, then stay Orthodox. 
and we're also not necessarily appealing to the people who have left the church and saying, hey, you need to come back. There's something wrong with, with you. Uh, you know, we're very careful to say that there are probably a lot of people out there who shouldn't come back. They've been hurt in, in various ways and they can't reconcile their own personal experiences with the things the church teaches and they shouldn't come back. So we're not, we're not trying to draw them back either. We're really appealing to or trying to appeal to a group that fits what we are, which is we have faith in a lot of the elements that this church believes in. I, I believe in a lot of the things that we call revealed doctrines, um, like the Book of Mormon, aspects of the temple ceremony. I, I actually really do believe and have had experiences that, that tell me that there is good truth there. Uh, I also have had experiences that tell me that there's a lot of problems in the church. And there's not a lot of people that I'm aware of who are saying there is a safe middle ground for people to come to. I don't want to leave the church, but I don't want to live in this delusion anymore. And, and I think that's maybe at least part of why our podcast has some appeal is because there's a lot of people out there who have never been given permission to live in that space, to say, I can be an active member of the church and say that there are really good things about this church and I don't want to leave it, but I'm also not uh, what you guys are calling uh, TBM, true blue Mormons. Um, you know, that, that's fine. You can, you can not be a true blue Mormon, but the, the, the only other option is not to just leave. There, there can be this milligram. Valerie talked about paradox, that, that, that opposites can be true. Um, that was a really hard concept for me to understand at first. But once you've kind of lived in that space for a little bit and you understand it, then it seems like everybody else who's lived in that space and kind of understands it, there's a, there's a language that we speak that just kind of comes together and we kind of know who each other are. How does the Book of Mormon's view of opposition in all things uh, fit into that equation for you? Yeah, so um, <laughs> that, that actually happens to be one of my favorite concepts. Um, when, when, when people ask me about you know, the Book of Mormon, I was like, Second Nephi chapter two, for me, uh, is the great evidence that there had to be some inspiration behind it, uh, behind the Book of Mormon. But the way I view opposition in all things is this. Um, we, we're taught uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures and even in the, the book of Genesis, that in the beginning, everything was void. There was sort of this chaos that God got his hands on and God took from the chaos and started to create things that were beautiful. He created light, he created a planet and, and then on that planet, he created life and so forth. But in so doing, there also has to be an opposite. You can't have light without dark. You can't have life without death. Uh, and the great paradox is seen in the, not just the creation story, but also in the fall that, that from death, came life, that from sin came spiritual growth. And, and some of those principles, I think the church has gotten away from, and that it's okay to see that sin is a necessary part of becoming more spiritually aware, of becoming more spiritually mature, that death is a necessary part of becoming alive. And, and so um, you can have good and bad in the same place. In fact, you can't have good without bad. And so there has to be that, that paradox. And I think a lot of Mormons live in a place where they only want to, to see the good, that there's, there can only be good. And, and the better I am, the better life will be. 
but you can't have the good without the bad. So you have to have that, that paradox. We've just never been taught how to see it or how to live in it. I think it goes back to our inability. Well, how we have not been necessarily trained well to um, have to, to manage complexity that psychologically mature people can tolerate tensions of opposites can, can manage complexity. And while you, you find it right there in the beginning of the book of Mormon, you don't actually see it in execution in terms of how to, how we as members of the church are, are taught are actually um, encouraged to live our lives. And I think um, one thing too, that your, your thoughts make me think about Nathan is that we I spent a lot of time when I was kind of having my great awakening, you know, moving into this more um, evolved stance as I see it, um, wondering why it took me so long. Like I was Orthodox for more than 40 years of my life. And I look at a lot of these other scholars and researchers and academics that they were struggling with issues of gender from like when they were kids or at least in college. And I just, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I felt like I was had a blinder over me, but then it occurred to me as time went by, um, that maybe perhaps for me, it's been valuable because I 100% understand the workings of the mind of the Orthodox person. Yeah. Like I get them because for a lot of my life, that's who I actually was. And so I understand in the ways that I, um, I plan my, my content um, in the ways I think about how to present things, I don't want to frighten them away. And I know what frightens them because I know what frightened me. And so I really think about gentle persuasion. And I think about um, presenting things in a way that is true, truth telling and is extraordinarily honest and direct, but that is also sensitive. And that is also compassionate to their, their positioning in where they are in their own personal life development, because I, I understand that. And I think that's probably why the one episode in my it was, uh, the podcast kind of took off after I spoke at Sunstone a couple, like, I guess it was a month or two ago. And one of the presentations was on stages of spiritual development. And it actually, I mean, it's been shared like crazy because I think it's finally, it's, it's giving people a map to better understand how I was, where I was, why I was there in this orthodoxy phase. And that I'm here now in this more, um, it's almost like a faith crisis stage. It's more, it's com it's complex, but the, the whole idea is that the research shows that you're actually, you're, you're on a path. You're not crazy. You're not the only one. This is actually the way people trend as they grow spiritually. I think it brings a lot of people, a lot of comfort that like, oh, like I'm, I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm on schedule. And that's a whole thing that people don't at, at all understand in our faith tradition. Wow. Wow. That's great. You know, I just wanted to, I mean, so uh, when did you launch your podcast? How long ago? It was in March. And okay, wow. And yeah. what kind of feedback are you getting? Oh, wow. do you want to take that, Nathan? Or I, we both could, but yeah, both take it. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying. Yeah, I, you go I, ahead. You you uh, see it more than I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's been really um, actually shocking that from almost the very beginning, um, we started getting letters, um, emails. I was getting messaged on Instagram, which is where I have the the podcast. You know, I have a, a handle for the podcast. Um, like it was, it was kind of shocking to me how many people were like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Reviews on iTunes came fairly quickly. And it was all, um, there, was, there were variations of the same story, which is I've been suffering for so long and nobody has understood me. And you guys are giving me words to describe my suffering and I don't feel alone anymore. 
Um, and I, we hear that over and over and over again. We just dropped an episode um, just Friday on um, the consternation that young folks feel when their children turn, are getting ready to turn eight, when they're in this nuanced sort of faith transit, like not even a transition, but they're in crisis and they're having this more complex relationship with the church and they've got a little one turning eight and they don't know what to do. They love parts of the church and they're really um, dis, um, dissatisfied with and feel a lot of anxiety and consternation about other parts of the church. And so we dropped an episode about it actually an answer to a question from a listener saying, can you please address this? And um, the letters have just started, they're coming, several of them. One of them actually was like, I'm baptizing my kid tomorrow morning and this is what I'm suffering from and this is how you're helping and this is how I have um, been managing this myself and my own, you know, my own struggles and answers and, but I've gotten many of them just to, even since Friday morning. And it's just, it's just those little things um, that inform how we live our lives that we haven't necessarily um, had any, these folks have not had an outlet for, they don't understand. They can't go talk to their sister or their mom most of the time. Uh, you can't talk about it in Relief Society. You don't talk about an elders. Court. I mean, there's just, there's, and if you do, you're oftentimes sort of placed in a light that is, um, turns you into the problem because you have exposed a problem or turns you into a less faithful, or there's all sorts of rhetoric around what this means about me because I'm having a question, not about addressing the actual question. And I think that's what the podcast does. And that's what these letters are consistently saying over and over again. And we're just like you, Steve, we're finding that people are saying, I'm actually finding a way to be more psychologically and spiritually mature so I can manage the tension and the complexity of the church and stay for the reasons that work for me, but throw out that which doesn't. And so more people are actually staying by far than are leaving. We've even found people that have left, but they're in mixed orientation marriages. And they're like, we can finally have a conversation. You're giving us words because I've left, my partner stayed, but we now can finally have a dialogue for the first time. So go ahead, Nathan, I'm getting all Beautiful. excited about this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I would just say amen to those things. The one thing I might add is um, it, it's touched some people so much that Valerie gets tons of requests for also doing therapy on the, on the issue. Like, hey, can you become my therapist? Can we talk about this? And, uh, you know, she's not in a position with her practice where she can really take on that large number of things. So uh, she's actually started an online support group um, that we've uh, just recently launched. And that's gone really well. Uh, you know, just in the, the couple of weeks that we've been, we've been running it, people are saying the same thing over and over again, which is that it's just really nice to connect uh, with people who see things the same way and, and, and feel the same way about things. And so there, there's obviously a, a huge, huge need uh, for this, this middle ground for the people that can say, yeah, I, I think Joseph Smith did prophetic things. And I also think he did some really stupid human things. And for the Orthodox person, they can't say, I think he did some really stupid human things. And for the person who's left the church, they can't say, well, I think he was, you know, did some prophetic things. They, 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 both of those stances are, are kind of like all or, or, or nothing. It has to be black and white. And we're saying, no, there's actually great. I, I really do think that there are some really inspired people in this church who have said some really inspired things, brought brought out some teachings and doctrines. You know, we talk about heavenly parents, heavenly mother. Well, we wouldn't have known that without Joseph Smith. I mean, he, he's the one who first really said, yes, there is a heavenly mother. But he also did some things that were really questionable, really, really questionable. And so now there's a place to say, I think both things can be true. And, and that is, I think, what makes us unique. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really great. And it's a very unique thing you guys are doing. Um, I'm really excited about what you got, what you, what you got going here. 
I think you're going to, people are going to, already people are having breakthroughs in their lives. And it's funny just hearing from people like that, similar stories, you know, and I'm not a therapist, but it seems like, you know, people need a, a space, space like this, where they're going to be, you, you can, we're not going to make fun of your beliefs. We understand your beliefs uh, and we respect your beliefs wherever you're coming from. So I can respect an atheist or I can respect a uh, dyed in the wool, uh, true blue Mormon and say, well, I look at it this way. See, I always tell people, just remind yourself, we're all image bearers. We all bear the image. And we remind ourselves of that, that no, wherever you're at, their fellow image bearers and that they may be treated with love and respect and dignity even the people you don't really care for maybe you don't like their politics or whatever don't matter fellow image bearer That's beautiful. and we need more of that we need more That's of that beautiful yes um you know i am really honored and privileged that you both came on the show now real quick nathan what what shirt are you wearing <laughs> let's see the shirt look at that <laughs> big fan big game last night yeah no absolutely a big fan um you know, BYU, like like everything else in the church, has its issues. But I I have no no qualms about my four years there. Uh, I loved it. It was fun. I am a dyed in the wool uh, cougar, <laughs> and uh, and my kids are. You know, my at least my boys are. Uh, all we all three of us. Even even Valerie went to bed last night before the climax of the game. But but me and the two boys, we we stuck it out till the one a.m. finale. That's great. Yeah, I did too, late night here on the East Coast. Um, and just a reminder, folks, you know, uh, they're in Jackson County. They're in Zion. Um, they'll be ready to greet you guys if you ever make your way back out here. And uh, right. that'd be awesome. So, uh, Valerie and Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thanks for having Thanks for us. Ha Thanks for having us, Steve. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, folks, I, I just want to thank you for listening. Um, these are important topics. And I think it's important that we have these conversations wherever you are in the spectrum. I also want to remind my audience to don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the notification bell for when a new episode comes out. Also, you can uh, we're working on getting uh, the stuff on the podcast, so you can check us out on Apple and Spotify. For those of you who'd like to support the channel, there'll be links in the description uh, where you can support me on PayPal and on Patreon, as well as the merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Check out the website. We've got a lot of great uh, merch out there as well. So folks, I hope you all have yourself a great day. And just remember, all the voices of the restoration will be heard on Mormon Book Reviews.